Welcome to the NLCC Lancaster Podcast. We hope and pray the following message blesses your life. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit us at nlcclancaster.com. Ephesians 4.11 Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This is what we call the fivefold ministry. Everybody say fivefold. Turn to somebody and give them five. Say that's the fivefold right there. What is their purpose? Their purpose, the fivefold ministry, if I could say the leadership ministry of the church, the fivefold ministry, their mission is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Everybody say the work of the ministry. Everybody say the saints. Not New Orleans. But Lancaster NLCC. Saints. And then 1 Peter 2 verse 9. This arrests my attention. But you... This is written to the believers. Are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him. Who has called you out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. You were once not a people. But now you are the people of God. At one time you had no mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. So by the help of the Lord for a few minutes, I would like to challenge, hopefully inspire, and give you permission today to step into your destiny. My subject today is the priesthood of the believers. Would you say that with me? The priesthood of the believers. And you may be seated. Oh. So I'm not a theologian. I do have a master's in theology, but I'm really not a theologian. Uh, I'm an exhorter. And let me tell you what exhorters do. Exhorters Uh, They always have a word. They always have a message. They're always ready. This is Romans chapter 12. There's seven spiritual gifts. One of them is exhorter, and that's me. And exhorters, they're ready with a message, but they got to find a verse to make it legal. That was sort of a joke right there. They had to go get a verse. Oh, okay, I got a verse. I can go give this message. And so I'm an exhorter. I'm ready to go bear hunting with a stick right now. I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Any other exhorters in the house? See, exhorters, you know, they're they're like, hey, what's holding up the delay? Let's go. And so this is how I feel about what I'm going to present to you today. And exhorters are not the deepest preachers in the world, okay? And to illustrate that right now, I brought a picture today of an apple. And I want to show that to you because... I'm a very deep, everybody look real theologically, theologically at the apple 
This is really going to get deep right now. So when we look at an apple, we see the parts of an apple. Everybody say the stem. Say the skin. Say the meat. Say the core. Is there anything else? See, you're as deep as I am. There are seeds. And how many seeds are in the average apple? Six. Four. Somebody said 20. He's way off. (laughs) There's about five to eight seeds on average. And whatever answer you gave is right. In an apple. Now, sometimes I think we're asking the wrong question. And if you ask the wrong question, you will get the wrong answer. You have to ask the right question to get the right answer. For example, the right question was asked in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Men and brethren, what shall we do? That was the right question. And if you ask the right question, you will get the right answer. And here's what Peter said. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you and to your children and all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Clap your hands if you've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's imagine that that apple is NLCC on Sunday morning, okay? The apple is NLCC on Sunday morning. And pastors, you know, we, we first of all, we want to know how was the offering? How, how was the offering? Okay, that was great, thank God. Next thing we want to know is how many were there? Of course, pastors are already upset because... People are on vacations. People are sick. Usually this first row is full of young men, I've already been told. And I don't know where they are today, but we're sorry that they're not here. And, and we want to know how many showed up on Sunday morning. That's sort of like how many seeds are in the apple. But that's not really the right question because I'm preaching to a priesthood of believers. I'm preaching to people today who have been filled with the Spirit, baptized in the name of Jesus, who understand the authority and the miraculous power of God, and you understand that that power and authority of God doesn't just work in this building. It does, it is not exclusively operational at an address or a campus called NLCC. How many knows the Holy Ghost will travel? How many knows the Holy Ghost is a missionary spirit? How many know the Holy Ghost can show up at Walmart? It can show up at Starbucks. It can show up in your neighborhood Bible study. It can show up anywhere you are because you're the church. This building isn't the church. You are the church. In fact, if you'd have walked up to a first century believer right out of the upper room and said, oh man, I like what you're doing. I like who you are, what you got. You got something. Where do you go to church? They'd be like, what? 
No, let me sort of run that by you again. You know, where do you go to church? You know, where's the steeple and the pulpit and the pews? And they're like, oh, we don't go to church. We are the church. We have church in the streets. We have church from house to house. Once in a while, they let us hang out even in a corner of the temple, but that's not even dedicated to us. Did you know that the first Christian worship center was not even built until the middle of the third century? And by that time, over 20% of the world claimed to be Christian. So, what is the right question about the apple? It's not how many seeds are in the apple, but it's how many apples are in the seeds. That's the question I've come to ask today. You see, as a congregation, we are powerful, we are mighty. But I want you to know that resident within you is the power to multiply. This is how the first century church reached their world. Listen, inside every seed is the power to produce another apple tree. And in every growing season, the average apple tree produces 300 to 500 apples. And in every one of those apples is another five to eight seeds. And you can see that our God in creation is extravagant and nothing's different in the apostolic Pentecostal church inside of you. You are a revival. You are a move of God. You have the power of miracles in your hands because you are the priesthood of the believers. Oh, about 20% of you believe that. Now, I I started out by saying, you know, I just want to nudge you. I just want to nudge you in the direction of your destiny because God has big plans for you. And I've pastored for almost 40 years and I know that most believers are living beneath their privilege and their opportunity and the magnificent glory of God that is resident within them and it wants to be exercised. So let me try, try to say this perhaps in another way. So if I were to offer you million dollars cash a fistful of a million dollars if i was just to offer you a million dollars right now no strings attached not a trick question how many of you would take a fistful of a million dollars right now about 12 of you so the rest of you you're you're independently wealthy and that's that's chump change okay so yeah you know i'm probably trying to set you up for something right yeah you you heard lots of preachers, so you know what's going on here. But what if I said, now you give me that million dollars and I'll give you a penny doubled every day for 30 days. How many would take the million dollars? How many take the penny? Oh, wow. We have an astute informed congregation here today if you took the million dollars you made a bad choice 
Would you believe that a penny doubled every day for 30 days? After 20 days, you would have thought, oh, man, I made a bad decision. It's only 10,000 lousy dollars. But if you wait 10 more days and let it continue to double, that 10,000 in 10 days becomes $10 million. It's no wonder that when Albert Einstein was asked, what is the greatest discovery of your lifetime? He thought he would have said, well, of course, my theory of relativity. No, he said, the law of compound interest. How many oneness Pentecostals are in the world today? 34 million. Do you think that Jesus envisioned in the last days that his church would impact 0.03% of the population? That sounds way too low to me. How about you? Don't you think there's more power in the church than that? Don't you think there's more opportunity in the church than that? Can I have a better amen from NLCC today? Listen, if you come to church to hear a nice sermon and go to lunch and not have to do anything with it, you got the wrong preacher here today. But I've come to challenge you to get on the mission. I'm saying to you that if we will get on the mission, what is the mission? Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. Praise God. That is the mission. And you are the priesthood of the believers and you have been called to get on the mission. If every one of us had a heart to make disciples and we took an entire year to teach somebody a Bible study, to meet them at Starbucks, to meet them at McDonald's, to hang out in their house and just take a couple hours a week and teach them and train them in the word of God. Take a whole year to do that. And then those two disciples go make two more disciples. Do you know that we could impact the entire world's population in nine years? So when Jesus said, go make disciples, he wasn't kidding. He wasn't blowing smoke. He wasn't having, asking you to have a good day. He's saying, go change the world clap your hands to the Lord you are a priesthood of believers in the Bible language matters how the Bible talks about things how the Bible talks about us it matters The Bible does not talk about saints and call them, you know, church members. They're sanctified, justified, and petrified. (laughs) And I saved them, called them out of the world, put them on a church pew to be boring for the rest of their life. Does that sound like the mission? You know, we go to the zoo, we see these powerful animals, these 500-pound grayback gorillas and these 1,000-pound king of the jungles. And these, these powerful animals, we emasculate them and, and we put them in an enclosure and we never really get to see how powerful they are. And I know for a fact 
because I've pastored almost 40 years. I don't know you personally, but I know people like you who were crazy for the world. They were wild for the devil. You went on escapades, exploits. You were doing incredibly stupid things and having a blast. Can I tell you something? Where did all your excitement go? Where did all your hunger for adventure go? What about all your wild and crazy parties? Isn't the kingdom of God a party? Hallelujah. Amen. When the prodigal came back, they threw a party for him. And I'm telling you that resident inside of you is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it's a spirit that wants to go on adventure. And it's a missionary spirit. And it wants to go do something for God. Did you ever hear the story about the $1 bill and the $20 bill, they were being decommissioned at the Mint. They were wore out. They'd been in circulation for decades. And the $20 bill and the $1 bill, they're bouncing down the conveyor belt. They're going to be shredded. And the $1 bill looks over at the $20 bill in total amazement and says, wow, a 20. Where all have you been? He said, oh, I've been to the Washington Monument. I've been to the Grand Canyon, the Eiffel Tower. I've seen the Taj Mahal. I've been on about 25 cruises. Where have you been? He looks over at the $1 bill. He says, oh, I've been to church. So I want to ask you a question today. Do you have a $1 bill worth of the Holy Ghost? Or do you have a $20 bill worth of the Holy Ghost. This is not an offering message. This is a ministry message today. What are you doing with what God has given you? I'm looking into the faces of people. You are so powerful. Why don't you come out of the cage? Why don't you come out of the enclosure? Why don't you walk out of this building today? Amen. Not like a seed in the apple. Amen. But apples in your seed that you've got the power to make a difference and to multiply. Praise God. Amen. What would happen? to NLCC if we would all realize that we're a priesthood of believers. The Bible says you have been called out of darkness. Everybody say called out. Into his marvelous light. Say into. When God calls you out, he calls you in. Huh? When he calls you out of the world, he didn't call you into nothing. He calls you into something. <laughs> Called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you know that Paul often uses the language when he talks about the saints? He says... You are called to be saints. Called to be saints. You're called out of darkness. You're called out of a sinnerhood status and called into saint status. Praise God. Amen. I'm preaching to saints today, not ain'ts. Saints. Now, what is a saint? You look up saint in a concordance. This is as deep as it gets today. 
you will find that a saint means holy, separated, consecrated, redeemed. When you are a saint of God, you have status with God. You have status. You know, I have status. I have a Sam's card. Yeah. I love going into Sam's. I love to see him stop people at the door. And I walk right on by, baby. I just flash my card and whew, I'm in. I got status. Pastor is a United frequent flyer. He's got status. My wife and I were Delta people. And we love status. I'm platinum. The highest you can go is diamond. I don't think I'll ever make diamond. But I'd like to someday, one day before I die. But platinum's pretty good. And I'm over the gold and the silver. And I get called to board first. And my luggage gets special treatment. And, and I get upgrades. I buy main cabin Fares, and then I get upgraded to Comfort Plus or even to First Class. And when my wife and I don't get upgraded, we're sort of like pulling our luggage down the center round. We're like, <laughs> back here with the commoners. And these people so nice to just walk in and sit in the second row and, you know, an extra wide seat. And they come and, you know, would you like something to drink? And it's so nice to have status. Do you like status? Yeah, you have status. You are a saint of God. That is a status with God. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special designated representatives in this world. Why don't we start living that our status allows us to live in? God doesn't make junk, but when he saved you, he filled you with his power. He gave you a word and you are on the mission to go impact this world. Amen. The impact doesn't happen in here. The impact happens when you drive off this campus, you've got power to change the world. I'm going to tell you what happens. I'm going to tell you exactly what happens. The reason that some of us are not living in the full flavor of our destiny is because of the devil who puts condemnation on us. Ah, you ain't no royal priesthood. You ain't no chosen generation. No, you, you know, you fell. You did this. You said that. You are, you are not any good. That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no 
condemnation who are in Christ Jesus. I'm convinced that the average spirit-filled, born-again child of God never steps into their destiny because they believe the lies of the devil. And I've come to expose him here today. If you fail, then get back up. The Bible said even a righteous man falls, but he gets back up. Why does he get back up? He gets back up because when he's down there, he realizes this is not me. This is not who I am. I'm designed for something greater and better. And I'm here to call the devil a liar. And you're a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. Turn to somebody and say, get back up. Come on, yell it again. Get back up. The saints... You are the saints. You are called to live like priests. I've never heard any preacher say that. I'm not patting myself on the back. But I feel like I'm on a mission. I'm preaching this everywhere I go. God has big plans for the church. But let me tell you something. Those plans are not going to come to pass if we as saints think that the fivefold ministry gets to do all the cool stuff, all the fun stuff, all the godly stuff, all the holy stuff, all the spiritual stuff, all the miraculous stuff. Sort of like when Moses walked to the prayer tent And all the men stood at the door of their tent and they were just happy to watch Moses. Oh, there he goes. Good luck, Mo. Hope you can bring the glory back down. I got burgers on the grill here. Only Joshua took the journey with him. Listen, I know your pastor. I know his heart. I know what he wants for you. He wants you to be used. He wants you to be a blessing. He wants to partner with you. Let me tell you that the five, the, all the power of the church is not up here on the platform, you know, in the preachers. And here's the assistant general superintendent, you know, assistant to David Bernard. And boy, he's got all that. Let me tell you something. If God wants to give you miracles and not give me any miracles, if your light shines brighter than my light, I'm not going to be upset about that. I'm going to celebrate your revival. I'm going to celebrate God's goodness in your life. I'm going to celebrate your miracles because your miracle is my miracle. Your revival is my revival. I had a staff member, new staff member come up to me. He'd been with me two Sundays. He said, pastor, can I pray for the sick? I'm like, What? Can I pray for the sick? And the Lord spoke to me and said, he's asking you because I've used him in the supernatural, in miracles. And he's been places where his star was shining bright and somebody didn't like it. And they tried to dim down his light. I said, let me tell you something, young. I said, if you pray 
for 50 people in hospitals that are hooked up to hoses and gizmos and gadgets and they all come walking out of the hospital into the house of God and I pray for 50 people and they all end up in the cemetery I want you to pray for the sick I want you to lay hands on the sick so let me ask you astute Bible students a question who gets to lay hands on the sick The believers. Jesus said it in Mark 16. Did he say, these signs shall follow exclusively the fivefold ministry? No, no. These signs shall follow the believers. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. They shall speak with new tongues. They're going to cast out devils. Amen. If they touch any drink, any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. Why? Because they are the royal priesthood. How long has it been since you had a miracle? What would happen in your lunchroom if somebody says, man, I got a headache and there's about 12 people in there and you just lean over and say, can I just pray for you right now? And you pray and that headache leaves instantly. What's that going to do? What if somebody has cancer at the office and you say, you know what? Can I pray with you right now? Listen, you don't have to call your pastor. You don't have to call the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. That's really the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is lay hands on them right now, right here, and see what God will do. Somebody clap like you mean it. So I have a sequence of verses. In the book of Acts, I want you to pay close attention to because NLCC is a Pentecostal church. Are we not? We're not just Pentecostal, we're a classic Pentecostal church. You know what that means? We really are Pentecostal. It's not just you know, in our articles of faith and in our bylaws. And it's not just window dressing. We really are Pentecostal because we believe in the Pentecostal experience speaking with other tongues. And we believe that and it happens here because your pastor preaches it. If it's preached, it's going to happen. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. We are a classic Pentecostal church. And let me share with you what the impulse of Pentecost is. The impulse or the driving force behind Pentecostalism is we want to go back to the original. Can I have a better amen? amen? We want to go back to the beginning. That's what drives us. That's what inspires us. We thank God for Azusa Street, but we don't want to just go back to Azusa Street. Huh? We thank God for the Great Awakening. We don't want to just go back to the Great Awakening. We thank God for the Reformation and those that took the step out from the historic church. 
But we want to go back through the Reformation. We want to go back and we want to drill down till we get back to 37 AD where the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the day of Pentecost. We want to go back to the doctrine of the oneness of God, which was the doctrine of the apostles. We want to go back to Acts 2.38, which was the first and only gospel message that will say we want to go back to separation from the world. And I'm telling you there's something else we need to go back to and that's the priesthood of the believers say why do we need to go back to that I'll tell you why because it was stolen from us I said it was stolen from us you know one of the greatest robberies in a church was at Lakewood a few years ago, Pastor Joel Osteen. Somebody stole $600,000 cash from that church. But that wasn't the greatest robbery that the church ever had. The greatest robbery the church ever had happened in the fourth century. And that's when the so-called leadership ministry of the church took the ministry out of the hands of the saints. Took Bibles from them. They couldn't read. They were illiterate. And they invented this non-biblical, non-apostolic culture and put a big separation between the platform and the pew. And they said, we are the clergy and you are the laity. Clergy means holy, educated. That's who we are. You are illiterate. You can't even sign your name. You can't even read the Bible. So we'll just have all the Bibles up here on the platform and in our office and we'll tell you what the Bible says and we'll tell you what to think about it because we're the de facto interpreters of the Bible. And there was a robbery in the fourth century. It stole the priesthood of the believers. I'm preaching to you today something that could change your life. We like to think that we're not traditional. Oh, let me tell you something. Pentecostalism can be as traditional as any historic religion can be. If all you want to do is come to church twice a week, pay your tithes and sing in the choir and go to lunch and talk about, you know, what did the Browns and the Bengals do today? Listen, I want to tell you something. There's traditional church and I like sports as much as anybody, but I'm here to call you out of the pew today. Amen. I'm saying... Let's go back into the enemy's camp and let's take back what he stole from us. Even better than that, let's just go back to the Bible. Let's get it back the way it was. I know that I'm preaching to people today. You know that there's something more for you. You know that there's something greater that God wants you to do in these last days. And we can't leave it up to the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Let me show you how amazing the first century church was. And I've heard a couple preachers say, we're blowing the book of Acts away. And when I read the book of Acts, I'm like, am I reading the same book of Acts they're reading? I don't think so. 
So let's start off with a bang. Acts chapter 5. I think it's verse... Is that what I gave you? Acts 5, 28. Look at this. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. We're not blowing the book of Acts away until we can say, we filled Kansas City with our doctrine. We filled Lancaster with our doctrine. And you know who was saying this? They weren't saying, well, we went on outreach today. We knocked every door in the community. We filled the whole city with our doctrine. Let me tell you something. Door knocking and leaving things on doorknobs doesn't fill the city with your doctrine. I'm not against door knocking, but it's not very effective. And it's not really what the apostles did. It's not really what the early church did. Uh, So, have we got a ways to go? So, the question I want to ask you is, how are we going to do that? Are we going to do that with the pastor up here on Sunday mornings? Is this going to fill Lancaster with our doctrine? Look at the next one. Acts 8, 4. Those who were scattered went everywhere. What are they doing? What? Preaching. Everybody shout preaching. See, we think, we're traditional. We think preaching only happens twice a week. Right here, baby. Behind this pulpit. This is where all the preaching happens. I know preachers who believe that. That's not apostolic. That's not how the first century did business. Who is it that's going? Don't tell me it's the apostles. Because the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. I'm a co-brother pilot. I got book on you. (laughs) The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. So who's going everywhere preaching? Just turn and point to anybody right now. Just turn and point to them. Say, they went preaching. They went preaching. Maybe we need to redefine what preaching really means. Listen, you don't have to have a PhD in theology or do re me or fiddle dee dee to preach. All you need is a testimony. You don't have to understand the order of the Melchizedek priesthood. You don't have to understand why they had that scapegoat that was sent out with a fit man. All you needed to tell somebody what Jesus did for you and give them the gospel and you are preaching. Preaching! Take a Bible study chart under your arm and walk into somebody's kitchen and put it down. You're preaching! Somebody go, wow! They went everywhere. Preaching. I don't think we're blowing the book of Acts away yet. But we're on our way. Look at Acts 8, 8. There was great joy in that city. The whole city was filled with joy. Why? Because Philip was preaching. He's preaching Jesus. There's miracles. And he's casting out devils. And he's baptizing. And they hadn't even been filled with the Holy Ghost yet. I told our church a while back. I said, Life Church, we just need a smile revival. Everybody just smile. Oh, 
That improved the atmosphere about eight degrees right there. When everybody smiled. If we all just smile, we would grow by 10% in the next six months. Because a happy church and a joyful church is a church where people want to belong. And I feel that presence, that spirit, that joy in this house today. But we got to get it out of this building. And it's got to fill our city. How's that going to happen? When we have miracles on the streets, it's going to give families joy. Amen. When we're going and baptizing, when we're casting out devils, come on. The thing that brought Samaria joy will bring Lancaster joy if the priesthood of believers will walk out of this house and walk in their full authority. Look at Acts 9.31, just the last phrase. The churches were multiplied. We can't even get the disciples to multiply yet, but the churches were being multiplied. Look at Acts 13.44 on the next Sabbath. Almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. I can't say that about Kansas City. Arrowhead seats 80,000. I've always wanted to preach an arrowhead, but that wouldn't even be almost the whole city. We got a city of two and a half million people. What would it take for almost the whole city to come out and hear pastor preach the word of God? I'll tell you what will do it. It's the same thing that did it here when there was miracles in the streets and where the priesthood of believers were letting the Holy Ghost out and coming out of our, our cage called the campus of NLCC and going out and doing the ministry and being a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. Look at Acts seventeen six. These that have turned the world upside down have come here too. Can we say that? They turned the world upside down. Look at Acts 19.10. Within two years, all Asia, all Asia heard the word. That'd be like your county. Your whole county heard the word of the Lord. I'm going to try to bring this message to a close today, but let me... Let me say that the apostles had to make a decision in Acts chapter 6. There was a challenge. There was a problem. I won't even unpack the problem. It'd take too much time. But the apostles said it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and do this ministry. We're going we're gonna to give permission to the saints to go do the ministry. And we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Elphia, Simon, Zelotes, Judas, the brother of James, and Matthias could have said, oh, we will do it all. You just come to church three times a week, pay your tithes, and sing in the choir, and you just come and nod your head in slumber or approval while we're going through our liturgical motions on these high, ornate lecterns, and you just watch us do our priestly thing, and then you just, see, we're the big King Tut preachers, and you're the little peon, tiny Tim Saints. God deliver us. God deliver us. Man, I wish I could walk all the way back there. Praise God. Nobody's safe here today. 
The Holy Ghost is coming after you. I know that God's lighting a fire in somebody. I know what's going on in your Holy Ghost right now. Some of your Holy Ghost is turning over like a Bunsen burner. Amen. Something's going on because I'm telling you, you're not in a lockdown traditional fourth century church, but you're in a 21st century version of a first century church where the believers were the priesthood of the believers. They released them. In fact, the Bible said they laid hands on them. Philip Thomas, uh, excuse me, Philip Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, and Stephen. They laid hands on them, the apostles. Has your pastor ever laid hands on you? Oh, yeah. Has he ever prayed for you? That means you've come under his anointing. That means you've come under his authority. The, the apostles laid hands on table waiters. But if you think that's what they were going to be doing for the rest of their life, you got another thought coming. As I said, Philip goes to Samaria. Stephen is walking through the streets and he has miracles. And it was the life of Stephen that planted the seed of obeying the gospel in the heart of Saul who was tormenting the church. The table waiter was a powerful, mighty man of God. So I've been preaching like this for eight years at the Life Church in Kansas City. I've been like a wild, crazy. Sometimes they look at me like a cow at a new gate. Man, what, what's pastor been drinking? I want some of that. And all I'm doing, all I'm doing this year, Brother Keller, is I'm just reading the book of Acts. I'm just reading the book of Acts because I want the life church to be a New Testament church. I don't want to be a traditional church. I I don't want to buy in to tradition. I want the real, authentic, back to the beginning book of Acts church. And we will not have what they had until we start living like they lived and start doing what they do, what they did. So let me, uh, I got a picture of a lady. She's sitting at her kitchen table. (laughs) In case you can't tell, she's not playing dominoes. She's at her kitchen table. And her son is a third grade student in my daughter Michaela's class. And the child was a problem. I almost said full of the devil, but I don't think that's possible. But real close. And was so disruptive and chaotic. And would lead that class on ridiculous exploits. Michaela would come home upset almost every night. And so Michaela, who's not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, well, not a five-fold ministry teacher, but she's a public school teacher. She said to herself, I'm taking my peace through the word of God into this student's home. I'm going to build a relationship with his mother and I'm going to bring her the word. And so she starts teaching her a Bible study. And Kayla was so hungry for God 
I don't know what lesson this was. I think about the third lesson. And the Holy Spirit moved in. Look, she's not at 10400 View High Drive, Kansas City, Missouri, 64164, which is the address of our campus. Let me tell you something. Everything spiritual doesn't have to happen at this campus. It can ha- it's even better if it happens outside this campus. I tell our church all the time, it's better. It's more important what happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, than what happens on Sunday. Sunday doesn't need to be a pep talk for you to live for God for seven more days. Why don't you go out and do something on Monday? Amen. Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. The disciples said, where did you get that energy? Where did you get that pep and vim and vigor and vitality? Jesus said, I've got me. I've been ministering to this woman at the well. And we're not in a synagogue. And we're not in the temple. We're hanging out at the well. But this is my meat. And I'm telling you, energy. I've experienced it. Energy will come into your life. And God will use you when you leave this campus and be the church wherever you are. Mm. Michaela teaching her a Bible study. And this lady starts weeping. See, you can't make anybody do that. Wow. You can't make anybody do that. Only the Holy Ghost can do that. Why is she weeping in her kitchen? I'll tell you why she's weeping. Because Michaela is the church and she brings the church, amen, wherever she goes. What happens in church? A sermon. Michaela's life is a sermon. What happens in church? A worship event. She is a worshiper. What happens in church? An altar call. She is an altar call. What happens in church? Conviction. She's got conviction because the life church has conviction. And she brought the church. God will back you up. You can't make anything happen. Only God can do that. You just obey the Lord. And she lifts her hands. And God fills her with the Holy Spirit. Speaking with tongues. So who gets to do the ministry? Just Pastor Keller? Just the paid staff? Man, I like this brother back here. He's got a yes face, and he is with me right now. Who gets to do the ministry? The saints! Because you have status. Because you're not under condemnation. Because you are approved of God. And you have the approval of your pastor. So, who gets to preach? Huh? Who gets to preach? Who gets to lay hand on the sick? Who gets to teach Bible studies? Everybody. What happens in the next 12 months? If NLCC, if we say, Pastor, I'm on the team. Pastor, I'm a saint. I'm the priesthood of the believers. There's somebody sitting in this house right now. You're getting ready to get lit. 
You're getting ready to get on fire. Something's going to happen to you. You've been a traditional, godly, faithful Pentecostal, and we celebrate you, and we thank you for all the offerings and the tithe and everything you've done for missions around the world. But I'm telling you, there is more for you. It's time to step in to the priesthood of the believers. It's time, amen, to turn sinners into friends and friends into disciples. That's what Jesus did. He was accused of being the friend of sinners. Oh, If we could be accused of so much, Brother Jay. I got one more question to ask you. Whatever pastor says is the way it is. But I checked with Professor and General Superintendent David K. Bernard, who's written like 42 books. And I checked with Professor David Norris, who's one of our professors at UGST. And I asked him the question. In the first century, who gets to baptize? Show that next picture. (laughs) That's Michaela, my daughter, the priesthood of the believers. Who's she baptizing? Her disciple, that lady who just got filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm putting pastor on the spot. Pastor, if somebody walked in here, a sanctified saint of God, and said, I've been spending two years with this person. They finally obeyed the gospel. Would you let them baptize them? I know you. I know you would. I'm not trying to change the dynamic of the church, but I'm just telling you what the priests and the believers did in the first century church. And you know what? I wasn't there. I found out about it after the fact. So when Michaela told me, did I say, now are you sure she was really filled with a Holy Ghost? I mean, did she talk in tongues till midnight? And did you really baptize her? You know, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Let me tell you something. The apostles decided we're not bottlenecking the church. We're releasing the church to go do the work of the ministry. Now, listen, if you're going to baptize somebody, we want them baptized here. Amen. But if I'll just tell you what happened. We got a guy on our staff. That guy can pray lampposts through to the Holy Ghost. He's prayed him through in Taco Bell, Burger King, and the back row of airplanes as they're landing. He said, now just praise God. Let the Holy Ghost come on you. They're landing. All right, seat, seat bells. You're receiving the Holy Ghost while they're landing. I can't do that. I don't have the, I don't have the gift for that. But he was teaching a Bible study to a 90-year-old man in a nursing home that was hooked up to everything. And he wanted, the man wanted to be baptized. And the doctor said, if you take him, if you disconnect him, he's going to die. And the family said, we want great, 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 great grandpa to be baptized. However many greats he was. And the doctor said, all right, we're signing off, but we're not taking any responsibility. They wheel him in and, his, and you know, he's hooked up and they get him into the therapy room right next to the hot tub and they fill it up and they make it nice and comfortable. And they said, now, and they pull everything out and they put him in the water. And he says, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. He baptizes him. He comes out of the water. He said, receive you the Holy Ghost. The guy speaks in tongues for 10 seconds and dies in the water. Woo! That was close. He came sliding into heaven and Peter said, man, you timed that down to the last second. We didn't even get an offering out of that guy. 
But I don't have any stories like that. I don't know how to do that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go teach a Bible study. I don't have that gift. Listen, let me tell you something. That's a fun story. But that's not me. And that's probably not 99% of you. If you pray fire hydrants through the Holy Ghost, what have you been doing? We need you to get out there and do that. But if you're like the rest of us, we're just going to build relationships with lost people. We're going to turn sinners into friends. Come on. How many of you got a friend that's a sinner that needs Jesus Christ, that needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that concludes this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And for those of you on iTunes, leave us a good rating. Thank you for listening to the NLCC Lancaster Podcast.